Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Spend five minutes looking at a TV guide and I promise you'll see one. (laughs) No matter what time of day, no matter what day of the week, even on major holidays, crime dramas seem to be on the TV all the time. (laughs) Between the law and orders and the CSIs and the, the criminal minds and all the different shows that are out there, they seem to just be everywhere. And I say this not to comment on the genre as a whole, but because I've been seeing a lot of them lately. My wife just loves the things, and they're just, they're not my cup of tea. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. Uh, They are so predictable, so formulaic. I mean, come on, spoiler alert, right? They catch the bad guy almost every time. Just before that, there's some sort of surprise insight in which we find out who this bad guy is and how they're going to catch him. The bulk of the show is spent uh, gathering all the smallest little clues, all these insignificant things that add up to, well, build a couple of um, usually incorrect guesses as to who the bad guy is. And of course, you couldn't have a crime show without the initial depiction of the crime itself being committed. It all just seems like a very passive game of clue, but it's never Colonel Mustard with the candlestick. Why do I bring all of this up? Well, one of these shows is the same in every major plot progression point, except the starting point. It begins with a pile of bones. The TV show Bones examines the crime drama genre from the perspective of forensic anthropology and archaeology, but it's not as boring as I just described it, trust me. The main character is a scientist who works with the FBI to determine just how this pile of bones, these human remains, got to be there. Her character often says something along the lines of, the bones always tell a story. Well, in our text from Ezekiel this morning, God has given us a story told by a pile of bones. To be sure, the bones in question don't find their origin in a valley, but as living people, living flesh and bone wrapped around the very breath of God and filled with life. But let's be honest, a crime was committed, death was allowed into the world, and, well, the valley of bones, it began to pile up. As Ezekiel surveyed the vast scene, he noticed their dryness. These bones were dead. There was no life in them, nor had there been for some time. The story continues to unfold, and he looks and he sees that it is revealed to him the identity of these bones. These bones that are dry, that are dead, that are lifeless, that are left to rot out in the elements are none other than the very house of Israel, God's own people, the same people who languished in bondage in Egypt and had been delivered by God's mighty outstretched arm and brought into his promised land. These sons and daughters of God lay dead. Lifeless, broken, dried, and bleached by the sun in a pile of bones. This was the scene that Ezekiel saw. Over Vicarage, I had the great opportunity to preach several funerals and to lead the processions to the committal service. And I just have to say, it's a great privilege and a great honor to walk alongside a child of God who sleeps as they make it to the place where their remains will be interned. The words of Psalm 23, of Psalm 130, uh, even the Nuctimittis rang through my ears as I led the casket alongside the path towards this grave. 
One in particular, Elsie, had been one of my first visits on Vicarage that I fumbled through, and, and well, hers was also my first funeral. As I walked alongside the casket, I, I couldn't help but be momentarily distracted. My eyes wandered to the left and to the right as I noticed rows and rows and rows of graves. Each grave telling its own story, yet each life ending just the same. But we don't have to go to a cemetery, a graveyard, uh, to see death around us. We don't have to go to a cemetery to see graves. No, just over a month ago, we were reminded that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And as we stood in lines to receive the ashy cross upon our foreheads, we waited in rows that resembled, not by accident, that row of graves that I looked at on Vicarage. We were reminded that we each have a different story, but that story, ultimately, each life ends just the same. And here just a few moments ago, today in this very chapel, we heard the words of Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. And if you're anything like me, you saw a little of yourself in that valley. But Ezekiel is not concerned with seeing himself or seeing you in that valley. No, Ezekiel's concern, the question that is on Ezekiel's lips and the question that is on ours is, where can you see God in this valley? in the midst of a vast cemetery, on what will soon be someone's deathbed. Yes, even as Ezekiel gazes upon the whole house of Israel, dried up and cut off, the words of Yahweh ring through the ages, can these bones live? This Lenten season, as part of my devotional life, I've spent it contemplating Christian art, Uh, Whether it be going to the library or the bookstore and flipping through a book depicting the crucifixion, the passion of Christ, or his life and ministry, whether it be going to the local St. Louis Art Museum and seeing the wonderful depictions there, or whether it simply be looking on Google Images (laughs) at any number of various depictions of Christ, his life, his passion, his death. That's how I've been spending my Lent. And, well, part of the challenge of reading art is being able to understand each element that the artist places into a piece. Who are the people depicted? How are they situated or arranged in the scene? What is the sky depicting? And lastly, how are the items and the scenery that find their way into that picture confessing what the artist wishes to confess? Some common elements between different pieces may emerge as a pattern. One such pattern occurs in many depictions of the crucifixion of Christ. While our Lord hangs in bitter agony, blood flowing from his side and extremities, the crowds stand by and watch, and at the foot of the cross lies a pile of bones. Now, the first time or two you see this pile of bones and the prominent skull, one might think it to be just a coincidence, but after a little reflection, Uh, you might begin to hear the story that these bones wish to tell. Perhaps the first couple of times you look at it, you think of Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of crucifixion, the place of execution, of death, and, well, probably bones. Maybe this is the artist's retelling of the story through a visual means of, they took him to the place called the skull, to Golgotha. 
but perhaps this is a visual reminder as part of a much larger confession of the artist. Perhaps you could look at this as seeing Christ crucified on the cross and right there crucified with him is death itself. So that where Christ is crucified, so also death has been crucified and we need not fear the grave. Well, I submit to you a third alternative. This comes from an old tradition that says the exact place where Christ was crucified is the same exact spot where Adam and Eve were buried all the way back in Genesis. It's poetic, it's nice. <laughs> well, when I thought about this and when I walked through this and when I saw that, I couldn't help but once again see myself. <laughs> I found myself buried under this cross, united with Adam in the original sin of humankind. I hope that you find yourself buried there as well. There we lay the perpetrators at the scene of the greatest crime man ever committed, with the innocent Son of God nailed to a cross. But God's great love would not allow our story to end with this travesty, this crime. It is in this image of the new Adam being glorified over against the old that we see the turning point in the story these bones wish to tell. Ezekiel looks across the valley at a pile of bones, the very bones of the house of Israel. And if he can just look to the far side of that valley, he might just catch a glimpse of a hill with bones piled around a man hanging on a cross. So I ask again, can these bones live? This sermon as does every other sermon, ends in much the same way. Spoiler alert, yes. Yes, these bones can live. And in the living flesh and the bones of Christ, spoken through the very Spirit of God, breathed upon the apostles, and spoken through time and space, through vessels of God's own grace, this prophecy that gives life has come to you. The words that can open your grave, the words that can call you forth, the spirit that will raise you up. And yes, you will live. And God will place you into his own promised land. Yahweh told Ezekiel that he would see this and he would know that Yahweh is Lord. Well, in the sign of Christ's resurrection, you will know that Jesus is Lord. If the season of Lent is spent asking, can these bones live, I submit to you the answer has been given in an empty tomb, the empty tomb of Christ. Yet when he comes again, he will empty Adam's tomb, he will empty Elsie's tomb, he will empty your tomb. But you, yes, even your bones, he will fill with life. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he comes again. Amen.